You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 3? Guys, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the good news. We're not there yet. Um, As as you were turning there, uh, I just, you know, what today is, is a a very clear, uh, and, I, and I pray, a very eye-opening recap of, of the entirety of this letter so far. Uh, so we, we must remember a few things as we, we dive into this, this incredible book. Uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, what that means, what, what apostleship means. It's why he is so strongly defending his apostleship throughout his writings of the New Testament. An apostle stands on behalf of God and delivers the words of God as if they were God's word to God's people. That's a really important task. So this isn't just hearsay. This is a direct line from God. That's what the apostle Paul is communicating when he says, I, the apostle Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle, He is setting up the message that you are about to receive is one of utmost importance, and it is a message that you should hear from the mouth of God. And that message is tough right out of the gate. Effectively, after the the niceties of, hey, I've prayed for you, the whole world has heard about the Roman church, then he just kind of lays into them. Because remember, there's a tension in the church, evidently, from the, the context clues that we are gathering throughout the letter, that there are Jewish believers and there are Gentile believers. And in there, they both believe in Jesus Christ. That's what unites them as a church. But then as that primary thing begins to, to fade, and I don't know if fade's the right word, or maybe, maybe it's something they lose focus on in that, and they start to look at secondary or tertiary issues, and that's where the fighting in their church begins. So they would say, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, and both sides would say, amen. And the Jews would say, and you need to keep the Jewish customs, and the Gentiles would say, oh me. The Gentiles would say, you don't need that Jewish stuff anymore. We have been set free. And the Jews would say, oh, me. And so they, they are somewhat of an impasse here. One believes something about the other group that may not be true. The other group believes something about the other group that may not be true. And they are seemingly at a standoff. And so Paul implores the only thing that would ever unite a divided group of people. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in that gospel, as as we're going to see next Sunday, as we dive into chapter 3, verse 21, that is where the good news starts. But today we end at verse 20. And so what he is doing from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, is he is setting the stage for the good news. They may know of an idea of good news, but they have no clue how good this news is. So he needs to help them get there. Here's how he does it. He starts with the Gentiles. He's like, guys, you're, you, without Christ, are absolutely hopeless and helpless. You have no good news. You have no hope. There's nothing inside of you that is good on any area of your life. You are depraved. And then, then he would turn his attention to the Jews, and he would effectively say the, the same thing to them. But some of the Jews had opposition. They, they would say to Paul, but, but Paul, no, don't, don't you remember? We are God's chosen. We, we, we have the sign of covenant. We talked about that last week. And we have his word. That's got to count for something. 
And so Paul continues his thought in that moment as we finished up chapter two last week. And and what he is saying to them effectively is this, those things are good, but they don't save. You should consider yourself blessed, but that doesn't mean that you are right. And so whether you are Jew or Gentile, you need the love of Christ to redeem you. And so now we get into chapter 3 today, and evidently there's more discussion going on in the Roman church. The reason we know that is because Paul starts with some questions that he begins to to answer. So he asks a question, and he answers a question, right? So as we look to the word today, Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, here's what it says. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision, the sign of covenant? And Paul would say, well, much in every way to begin with. So he starts out on a list and he's going to say, hey, look, being a Jew's really great. You, you truly are blessed of God. You were chosen before the foundations of the earth. God has trusted to you something spectacular. And that's what he starts with. Look what he says. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, we don't use the word oracle a lot in our, our everyday vernacular. So what does oracle mean, particularly in this context? And it is simply this. You have been trusted with God's word. And I know, guys, where we live, that that seems like maybe maybe just a passing thought because more than likely, in in our context, if we're just jumping to our life, more than likely, you don't own one Bible. You own multiple Bibles. And you may have at your house over 20 paper Bibles in different uh, areas and sides and concerns. And so what we need to look at here in this moment, what I want you to see is it's not the idea that you own a Bible. What Paul would say last week is, do you obey the Bible? Like, do you read it? Do you, do you apply it to your life? Is this, is this something that you are living out? Or, or is this just a badge of honor that you wear around, put under your arm and say, look at me, I'm a Christian, I got a Bible. And so that's where he goes today. So the Jews may have asked, okay, well then what advantage? You told me I'm blessed, how am I blessed? He said, well, first you've been trusted with the word of God. Then he goes on verse three and four. But what if some were unfaithful? So, so if, if they are blessed, if they are chosen, what, what if some are unfaithful? Does their, does their faithfulness, faithlessness, I'm sorry, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? So, so hear this this way. All right, so if, if God chose this group, so talking about the Jews, if God chose this group, and even in their sovereign election, were disobedient, does that make God less faithful? Does that mean God was wrong for choosing them, or is God made wrong by the wrongs that they do? That's a a weighty question. Paul answers, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. All right, that's a statement that's huge. It demands us to to spend much time on it, but for today, I want you to, to hear it in its most simplest form. If every person on the planet rejected the goodness of God, God is still good. Why is that important for us in the world that we live in? If the world in which we look at seems to be falling apart and decaying all around us, God is still good. 
Maybe this helps alleviate some weight from some undue stress you've put on you or maybe somebody else has put on you. Your past actions or your current state does not make God any less good. We are to represent him well, but he stands fully on his own. Though every man be a liar, God will be found faithful. So then he goes into this this quote. He says, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Then he says this in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? So here's that question. All right, so you're telling me that I'm broken. Got it. You're telling me that even though I am going to do broken things, God is still good. Got that. So, Josh, follow me. If I sin, and that proves God's faithfulness, is God proud in my sinning? Come on now. Come on. We, we, know, we know that question shouldn't be in there, but it's like all things. Don't feed the bears was put up because somebody thought it'd be a good idea to feed a grizzly. There's a reason Paul wrote this, because somebody had the idea that I think I'm going to make God look better by making myself look worse. So God, I'm going to sin, but it's going to be for your glory. Get out of here with that. We laugh, but probably deep in our hearts, we think, "Uh uh-oh. That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. Another question. All right, so if, if we are broken, God knows that. And he knows our helpless estate. Then is God unjust for judging us? So Paul says, I speak in human terms. He said, I'm trying to make it as plain to you as I can. Verse 6, by no means. For then how would God judge the world? Just because you don't have a chance at doing right in and of yourself doesn't mean God is wrong in casting judgment. And so, well, Josh, that doesn't sound very nice. Doesn't sound very encouraging. Right. That's why we are moving towards the good news of Christ. Verse 7 and 8. But if through my lie, here's that thought again. If through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory... Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? So some people slanderously charge us us with saying their condemnation is just. So here is Paul's response to that question. When people slander you for doing bad, they're not wrong. When when, when people bring up sin, they're they're not wrong because we are sinful. He's not saying specifically this or that or those. He is saying as a condition of the human heart, when somebody looks at you and says, you are broken, brother and sister, you are broken. That is not a wrong statement. For we are broken. Again, Josh, this isn't encouraging. What are you doing? We're moving to Christ. Verse 9. So what then? Are Jews any better off? Listen to his answer. Not at all. Time out. I thought we started with they were. No, we started with they're blessed. Jews are blessed more than the Gentiles because they had been trusted God's word. 
But they're not better off than the Gentiles. Why? Because both Jew and Gentile are broken. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin, as it is written. And now he is going to quote Psalm, Psalm 14 to begin with, and then a few others along the way, to prove extent of our brokenness. Look with me, if you will. Verse 11. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So, so again, I promise you we're getting closer to, to good news. But in case anybody, anybody reading this letter in the first century, and in case any Jewish believer or Gentile believer or 21st century believer is ever wondering, well, is there any good in us? What does Paul say? No. Well, 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 I get that, but I've looked at a lot of people, and I've seen some people, even this morning, they seem to have their life together. They seem to dress the part and act the part and be the part. Josh, are you telling me they're broken? Yep. There's nobody in this room that has their life together. But there are a lot of people in this room who've trusted themselves to the one who has their life together. And that is what unites a fractured church. It's not a, this group's going to try harder and do better. And this group's not going to set the standard for people trying harder to do better. It's what they're going to do is humbly submit their broken selves to the one who judges justly and rebuilds them. And so we don't walk in holding our credentials of, well, I was on the cradle roll or I'm brand new. I am somebody who is incredibly religious. I'm somebody who's never had religion a day in my life. The badge that we hold with honor is we belong to Christ and Christ alone. Do you guys remember the old hymn? It's actually not that old. It's a Getty hymn. It's called In Christ Alone. Again, I will not sing. You will thank me for that. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love and depths of peace when fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. That is the echo of a unified church. Nothing about that hymn, nothing about the Word of God will ever say, you may stand on your own merit. You may stand because you tried harder than them, or you have a better background than they do, or your story is less disgusting than theirs. The only hope that we have in this life and in the next is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then we come to the last two verses, verses 19 and 20. This is probably the most clarifying of all the verses we've read so far up until this point. Verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. There's a lot in this verse that references people who potentially brag about how good they are. The law stops that. Because the rule of the law is if you break one bit, you break it all. And so the law, what it says, is it speaks to those who are under law. Who is under the law? Everyone. Just in case we needed extreme clarity, look at verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let us be crystal clear this morning. What this tells us is that as we look at God's Word and we attempt to be obedient to God's Word, and we should, your obedience to God's Word does not save you. Your obedience to God's word proves your salvation. So when we are here and we start to get down on ourselves, or maybe you felt it this way before, when you mess up, when you are openly sinning and God confronts you, our human side wants to pay a debt. And so therefore, we know we can't pay the debt to save us. Therefore, we try to get on work release. We say, well, God, I know I can't save me, but I got a couple of good deeds I want to run by you. I see in your word you want me to share the gospel, so I'm praying this week you share it three times. I see in your word you want me to fast and tithe. God, I got a lot of money coming in this week. I'm going to give it to the church in your name. To be clear, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in this sight. It's not by what you do to be justified. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Church family, the reason the Bible is so important to us is because it shows us our desperate need for Jesus Christ. It's the reason why we implore you every day to read God's Word. It's not to make you a better version of you. It's to remind you that you need to daily surrender to him. That's a paradigm shift. A lot of times we will read this book and think, okay, I'll read it, apply it, now I'm a better human. No, you read it and realize more of your brokenness and you realize more of his grandeur and you trust in him more. The more you read this book, what you're going to find is we are a lot worse than we originally thought we were and he's a lot better than we originally thought him to be. And so we come to the conclusion of the hard news, or at least the constant hard news. And you may find yourself this morning and say, well, Josh, what, what do we do? It's, it's not about doing right, and if, it's not, it's, if, if we're not made right by this and, and we're not better, how do, how, do we, how do we do it? This brings us to, I think, the center of our service today. So we're going to move into a time to take the Lord's Supper together. Hopefully when you walked in, you received some elements of the Lord's Supper. If you did not, we're going to have some deacons who have Lord's Supper elements. They're going to get them right now. Don't panic if you say, oh no, I saw those, didn't know what those were for. 
We're going to take the Lord's Supper today. Here are a couple of things. Number one, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sin, and you are walking daily with him, we asked if you were willing to take this supper with us today. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, we just simply ask that you abstain from the supper today. If you need elements right now, just raise your hand. Brothers, there are people up and down. So if we would make our way, they're coming to you. I promise they'll get there. Maybe if somebody grabbed that couple of extra on the way in, you want to share with your friends. Just keep your hand up loud and proud. I don't want you to miss this. We're not in a rush. They are coming, I promise. Guys, we have a few more over here to my left. We have some down front right here. They're coming. Down front right here, guys. Here we go. All right, we don't want to miss you. We got some up top. Let's see you're making your way all the way up top. All right. I'm looking around, seeing hands. All right, we still have some right here, guys, in this portion. Coming at you. Wonderful. All right. We have some up top still. Great. All right. It is coming. Let me explain what we're doing here. Um, why this is so important. Why when we take this supper, we remember our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and it is this. In the old covenant, the covenant with Abraham, there was this really good news. And it, it, was, it was this line, and it was the line that the Jews held to, and, and probably even still hold to today somewhat. I will be your God, and you will be my people. But that was contingent. I was contingent on obedience to the law. I was contingent on a lot of things on our end. And here was the issue from the very beginning, from Genesis 3 on. We could never keep our end of the covenantal agreement. And the, the, there's, without going into too much detail this morning, the covenant was always sealed in blood, meaning that when the covenant was made, a blood sacrifice had to be offered. And so when the original covenant was made, that happened. And throughout, throughout the course of time and space, up until Christ, humanity felt the weight of not being able to keep their side of that covenant. And so enters the scene, this man named Christ Jesus. And he begins to tell of a new way and a new kingdom. And when people started to realize who he was and, and the message that he declared, he was asked, did you come to do away with the law? For it is so heavy on us. And he said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to what? Fulfill the law. Meaning where we couldn't, he did. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper today, we will look at Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And if you will take the, the portion of your Lord's Supper element that has the bread.
Luke 22, 19 says this. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this, and remember me. Take and eat. As we take the body of Christ, we remember that in all that he is, he has done all that we could not do. In the following verse, Luke 22, verse 20, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. If you are here today and you have tried your whole life to be enough, and maybe today, just in the simplicity and the quickness of this moment, you realize I'm indeed not enough. And I beg you with all that I am to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, for he is good. Though every man be a liar, God will be found faithful. Do not put your hope in a man. Put your hope in our eternal King named Jesus. If you would join me as we pray and move into this invitation time. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity today to hear from your word and enjoy this supper together. We know that as across this room, we are united as a family of faith, not because of what we have done but because of what you have done. So as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we remember you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for being our savior and our advocate. We thank you for being our reigning king. Oh Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?